Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to those of you that are joining us online as well. Uh, my name is Jim, uh, one of the leaders here at Waypoint. It's great that you're with us this morning. Hello, church. Everyone okay? It's good, isn't it, to be back here? I know that people are holidaying still, so there's a few spare seats, but um, it's good to see some faces that haven't been around for a while. If you are brand new, uh, then uh, it's great that you're joining us today. Please make sure that you chat to someone it looks like they know what they're doing after the service. We'd love to get to know you a little bit and just sort of make you feel a bit more welcome here. So today, we have our 10 talks today. For those who don't know what a 10 talk is, it's a little bit like a TED talk, but we've ripped it off. <laughs> but it's a 10 talk. It's usually, we've been asking the church family over the last year and a half, probably two years now actually, to just share what is on their heart, what they feel like God has been saying to them, and then they come and share it with us. So that's what we can expect today. We've got James Saunders. If you don't know who James is, yeah, you can clap James, that's great. He's saying don't clap me, that's right, that's really humble, James, brilliant. Um, James is going to be, sh- James has been part of the church since, how old are we? Two, right? And how old are you now, like 20? About, about 20, okay, that's good. Yeah, I'm about 40, yeah, fine. Um, so, James has been part of the church nearly the whole of his life, so a lot of you will know him or his family. If you don't, he's a great guy. He's grown up through the children's work and the youth work, and he's served so many different places. Been off to uni for a couple of years. He's going to come talk to us a little bit later, and that's followed by Doug. Now, Doug is... Yeah, round of applause for Doug. If you're in the building, Doug actually probably welcomed you, because <laughs> he's a part of the welcome team today. If you come to church during the week, you'll probably see him with a lawnmower in his hand, or building something. He kind of is basically the caretaker of the church, but he's also going to be speaking today from Habakkuk as well, so it's going to be a really, really great message, I believe, today. God's kind of dovetailed the two people together amazingly, so I'm excited by that as well. I hope you are. You're all excited by this? Expectant this morning. Fantastic. Good morning, church. How are you all doing? Right, so, uh, yeah, Jim introduced me. I was going to introduce myself, but Jim did most of the introductions, so uh, thank you very much. That's, that's perfect. Um, so, yeah, as he mentioned, I've been here um, since I was very young. I've grown up through the uh, youth um, and the, the children's work, and uh, there was a point when I was about 12 years old that I, uh, I went on retreat with the, for the first time with uh, this church, and... Um, there was a group of lads and, and, and I, we, uh, we were probably meant to be asleep, but anyway, we went into one of the kind of rooms adjacent to where we were um, in, our, in our dorms, and uh, we, we sat down and we started opening scripture together. And I remember this, this deep sense that God's presence was very tangible there with us at the time. And I decided from that night on, I'd, I'd been a Christian before that, I'd say, but I decided from that night on that there was nothing else in life that was more important than following Jesus. There was nothing more important than I could do apart from following Jesus. Everything else faded into the background. I also knew that I had been commissioned to make disciples of all nations. Jesus states that very clearly in uh, Matthew 28, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations and share uh, Christ with uh, our neighbor and, and those around us. And then in light of this mission, two months before COVID hit, uh, I went to Kenya to start a short-term mission. Now, the short-term mission was focused on uh, studying God's word with a an, uh, kind of evangelical um, um, aspect to it as well, that we were going to go to uh, the northern um, counties and, uh, and do a, a children's camp sharing God's word. But two months in, COVID hit and we were, were called home. So I had two months of essentially Bible study. 
But actually, there was one thing that stood out more than anything else while I was away. And that was this. Now listen carefully. Allow the Bible to change your thinking instead of changing the Bible to suit your thinking. And I know that's a bit of a one-liner, but it was the most important thing I think I learned out there and have taken home and have um, really tried to incorporate in my own life, to allow the Bible to change my thinking instead of changing the Bible to suit my thinking. And we're all guilty of doing that at times. So this morning, I would, I would love to answer two questions, um, or at least attempt to answer these two questions. Um, and the two questions are, why should I read the Bible? And how should I read the Bible? Okay, and before I do that, I'm just going to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, verses 10 to 17. So if you want to open your Bibles to there as well, and we'll read that together. So just remember, that's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. A final charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, love, and endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay. So the first question I wanted to look at was, why should I read the Bible? And I should imagine there's quite a few people here today who are thinking you might have an answer to that question based on partly the passage that we just read. It's, it's quite clear. Um, but let's go deeper for a moment and start to think about some of the reasons we don't read the Bible. I think it's quite important to think about that. So how often have you deliberately avoided passages in Scripture because maybe they're boring? Um, Levitical laws, uh, the genealogies in Chronicles are classic examples of places in Scripture we really find difficult to get into. How often have you maybe been embarrassed um, because maybe a non-Christian knows their Bible better than you or quotes something from the Bible and you, you either don't know that scripture or you don't understand what they're talking about? Um, I know I've had at university, I've had that experience a couple of times where actually someone quotes something to me or talks about something in scripture that I haven't heard of and that can be quite embarrassing. How about this one? How, how often have you been challenged by something in Scripture and uh, it's been something quite clear, you feel like it's, um, it's, it, it, it talks about something in your life, maybe the fruits of the Spirit, you read something in the fruits of the Spirit and you, um, you feel you're being challenged by it, but then you feel it's just too high and difficult to attain. It's too, um, yeah, too difficult to, to, to get to that standard, particularly the fruits of the Spirit. You, know, you read them all and you're kind of like, I don't have most of these. Um, and I know I've been challenged often by the fruits of the Spirit and other portions of Scripture, but it just feels like a too difficult goal to attain to. 
And I think this is the most important one. How often have you read something in Scripture and the Bible and you glossed over it because actually you disagree with it or actually you find it too uncomfortable to read? You might find yourself doing that with what Scripture says about sex and relationships or you might find that it's, it's really easy to um, read what Scripture says about love and forgiveness, but other portions of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, that talks about God being a judge, um, and it's really easy to ignore those things, and you gloss over them because they're really uncomfortable. And I think a lot of the time, we gloss over things um, that are uncomfortable because we've got an incomplete view of who God is. So if we go back to that scripture that we've just read, uh, 2 Timothy 3, particularly verse 16, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. If all scripture is God-breathed, there are no parts of scripture that we can gloss over. Every part of scripture is important. As an example, the first 10 chapters of Chronicles, I mentioned Chronicles earlier, the first 10 chapters are genealogies that are mostly unpronounceable names. And uh, I've been reading Chronicles recently. Um, I went through the first chapter, 10 chapters. Probably the first four I found very difficult. And I got to the second kind of six up from four to ten. I sat down. I did them um, with some, um, some just chill music on in the background. And reading those final six chapters of, of the first ten just brought it alive to me. I, um, I mean, it was, it was still genealogies, but it brought it alive as God's family tree. God's, uh, God's people, uh, God's uh, plan. And it shows that every single person in this genealogy, it's just name after name, but every single person in this genealogy was a part of a bigger plan. In the same way, we are all part of a bigger, grand plan. And also, if all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness then we know that when we disagree with something in Scripture or find it uncomfortable, we've probably got something to learn. As I say, most uncomfortable bits of Scripture are only uncomfortable because we have an incomplete view of God. For example, it's easy to distinguish um, God into two separate categories, that on one hand you've got God as a loving, gracious God, and on the other hand you've got God whose wrath comes out when things get really bad. But that's not how the people of the Bible viewed God. You have the psalmists who viewed God, um, or, or in the same psalm, or even the same verse, they describe both those attributes of God as if they go hand in hand. And in Hebrews, it says that God disciplines the one he loves. In the modern context, the words love and discipline hardly go in the same sentence. And yet that's exactly what love does. It disciplines and it rebukes what it knows is wrong. It convicts. And then that leads us onto good works. That leads us to be thoroughly equipped, as it says in verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the last reason um, that I think we should be reading the Bible um, is that it's a spiritual discipline. Psalm 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. It is, uh, it's an acrostic, I think, I think acrostic is the right word. Um, it's 22 stanzas, and each stanza starts with uh, the, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the psalmist just goes through describing God's word, and how he loves it, how he hides it in his heart, and memorizes it, and how it leads him onto purity. 
It's a really beautiful psalm. If you struggle reading God's word, I recommend reading, starting with Psalm 119 and just doing a stanza a day or something until it gets you excited about reading God's word again. There are a lot more I could say about why we should be reading God's word, um, but I'd like to move on to just some tips on how to read God's word. And then I'm going to hand over to Doug, who I'm really excited is going to be doing an example of this. So there's probably quite a few people who are thinking right now that maybe you, you just don't have the time to read God's word or um, it's, it's too difficult. You might feel like if, you, you know, if you've got dyslexia or something, you're just thinking, you know, this, this isn't for me. Um, the Bible is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I think that's the most important thing to say here. It's not one-size-fits-all. There are countless different ways that we can read the Bible. Um, and so don't take any of these tips as like, um, don't take them as scripture because they're not, these are, these are my tips. Um, but I'm hoping that they'll inspire you to get started and try something new. Um, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active. If it's alive, then it means that it kind of is going to have a different relationship with each of each of us. And if it's active, it means that it might have a different relationship with me now compared to any year's time. I know um, the first time I read the Bible through, like I hardly understood any of it and quite a lot of it. I just basically plowed through. And then this past year, as I've been reading it, it just has taken on this, this new level of understanding that has been really, really wonderful. And so it's alive and it's active. It will relate to each person differently and it will relate to you differently at different times in your life. So the first tip I would say is to read it as a grand story. The Bible is uh, written, well, it's got 66 different books, as many of you know. It's written over the span of about 1,500 years uh, with about 40-odd authors. And every single chapter from Genesis through to Judges, uh, through to the um, the songs um, in the middle of the Old Testament, through to the exile and the prophets, through to the the Gospels in the New Testament, the... um, Um, Paul's letters to the churches and the final revelation from John. Every chapter points towards Jesus and is one grand story that points towards Christ. And there are countless resources that can help us see that. It's really hard to see that at times, I agree, but it all points towards Christ and it is one big story. And actually, we are part of that story. And when we understand it as a big story, it's so much more exciting. That shift of perspective of just seeing it as one grand story suddenly makes it more interesting because we kind of see our part in that story. Second tip. If um, that isn't going to get you inspired, then I really recommend try reading it with someone else. I cannot stress enough how helpful it is to open scripture with another person. Um, a couple of weeks before um, I came home from Kenya, I, um, I started calling Izzy Madavan and we, we started um, just reading the gospel together. We read the gospel of John, then we read um, the letters, John's letters, um, and we read, read Peter as well. And we just did a, a chapter a day. I mean, it was locked down at the time, so we kind of had time. Um, we did, every day we'd, we'd meet and we'd do maybe a chapter and talk about it and talk about what it means for us. And I cannot stress enough how helpful that has, has been for me in getting excited about reading Scripture again. So if that's you and you're thinking, I'm just not excited, I'm not motivated, it's not interesting, 
please try reading with someone else. And if you're thinking, oh, I've been reading scripture all my life. You know, I know some of you have been reading scripture longer than I've been alive, um, which is fantastic. If that's you, then can I encourage you to get alongside someone who hasn't? Get alongside someone who really struggles with reading scripture and help them to see how they can enjoy and be inspired by it. Lastly, uh, we live in a time when we have more resources than ever to help us read scripture. In fact, we have Bibles where a lot of countries don't have Bibles. Um, I was listening to UCB recently, and they were saying that um, in Afghanistan, the Taliban are going around and um, basically checking for, for Bibles on people's phones. Um, I mean, how amazing is it that we can have Bibles on our phones in the first place? And it is accessible to everyone. There is not one of us that can uh, say that we don't have access to a Bible. Um, And not only Bibles, but resources in terms of videos online, in terms of commentaries and that sort of thing, which can actually be overwhelming, I I admit. Sometimes it's overwhelming to know what to read, what to kind of help us get into Scripture. Um, Personally, I really enjoy the Bible Project. If you haven't heard of the Bible Project, they are a... Um, a YouTube channel. They do kind of visuals, overviews of every book of the Bible, and they show how it all points towards Jesus. They're really, really great for helping you understand the book and then reading the book afterwards. Um, there are other things like uh, Through the Word is just an app, and it does every chapter. Instead of every book, it does every chapter, and it's exactly the same thing. shows how it all points towards Christ. There are also countless plans on the YouVersion Bible app. And if all of those things fail, then can I recommend that you grab someone and go for coffee with them and just, as I say, do it with someone else. If you can't find resources that work for you, try it with someone else um, and keep trying different things until you find something that works for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but there will be something out there that really helps. So keep trying different things and meeting with different people um, until you find something that works. Sorry, works for you. Okay, so I'm just going to summarize those two questions that I tried to answer here. Why do we read the Bible? It trains us in righteousness. It equips us for good works. It's a chance to find out we're wrong sometimes and to shift our perspective to align more with God's perspective, to understand God's character better. And it's also a spiritual discipline. It's food for our spiritual lives and it is absolutely essential from that perspective as well. And my tips on how to read the Bible were to try reading it as a big story. Try reading it with someone else. Try lots, and different, lots of resources and plans until you find something that works for you. And if all else fails, then uh, maybe try and go for coffee with one of the elders or uh, um, Keith or Jim or something. I'm sure one of them will manage to get you excited about reading scripture. It is really, really exciting. And I guess the last group of people that uh, I think I should try and talk to is is those that maybe you've never picked up a Bible. You've no idea what I'm really talking about. Maybe you're not a Christian. Um, My challenge for you would be to first lay down your preconceptions about Scripture. Maybe you've heard someone talking about Scripture. You've heard someone saying bad things about the Bible. Firstly, lay those down and forget about them for now. Pick up a Bible and go to about three quarters of the way through and read one of the Gospels. They, if anything, they tell a, a remarkable story about Christ, about a man called Jesus who lived and died, who came back to life again. And uh, he's invited every single one of us to be part of the kingdom of God. So um, I'm really excited now. We're going to have Doug come up and uh, do 
a, a, an example of this, which is really exciting. Do you want to come up, Doug? I'm just going to pray for you quickly, and then I'll hand over. Father, I thank you so much that your word is alive and active, that it, um, that it convicts us, that it challenges us, that it comforts us and it excites us. I pray, Lord, um, for Doug as he, he shares an example of this, that, um, yeah, you'll speak to us and excite us about um, Scripture and, and even the Old Testament, even though the Old Testament can be so difficult to get into. Excite us about reading it, understanding it, and most of all, getting to know you. Lord, will we not be people who read Scripture to show off to the church or to our friends, but help us to be people who read Scripture to get to know you mm. and find out more about who you are and what you've got to say about life and about us. Help us to see um, our, our part in a grand plan of redemption, a wonderful story from beginning to end of time, Lord, that you, um, you have ordained. Thank you so much, Lord, that you are, are speaking here today. Um, I just pray if there's anything I've said that's not helpful, that people won't uh, take it on too much. And if there is anything I've forgotten to say, Lord, will you lay it on people's hearts right now? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. So thank you, James. Um, My name's Doug. I'm the gardener here, or caretaker, whatever. And as I was asked to do this particular talk, um, uh, during the week, James and I had a a phone conversation. I was walking towards Cosham. He was driving somebody ill towards Bristol. And it was quite remarkable because he was talking about, you know, the importance of Scripture. And what I was going to talk was uh, a piece of Scripture. And in particular, this book covers that grand story. So as we go through um, the book of Habakkuk. Now, to find Habakkuk, what you do is you take your old-fashioned Bibles are about halfway through. If you've got a new-fashioned one and it's a phone, don't do this, but, you know, chop the Bible in half and then just go to the right a little bit. And Habakkuk is one of what's termed the minor prophets of the Bible. He lived around um, two and a half thousand years ago. He was um, called a prophet. We don't really know much more about Habakkuk than the fact that he called himself a prophet and he used some musical terms. So perhaps he served in the temple and he was a a song leader, perhaps. Anyway, um, the book is very small and it's very encouraging because it speaks today about from fear to faithfulness or from worry to worship. So I grew up in a place that's a long way from here um, and uh, a long time ago. People encouraged me to read the Bible, and I, in those days, had big black Bibles. Do you remember those great heavyweight things that used to thump down, you know, and the thicker the Bible, the more godly you were, apparently. And for the ladies, it was hats, you know, you had to wear a hat, and the bigger the hat, the more godly you were. But anyway, I was encouraged to read the Bible, and I didn't know where to start, but I picked one of the minor prophets, because A, they were small, and B, I could sort of like, you know, finish it in a day. Habakkuk only has roughly three chapters. So Habakkuk's structure is broken up. He basically comes to God and he complains about something. He said, God, why is there evil in the world? 
So he starts off very proper. He starts off by saying, you know, why do the wicked prosper? You know, what are you going to do about it? And then he sits and waits. And God answers him and says, don't worry, I'm here, I'm going to do something. So let's, let's read the very first part of that. So Habakkuk's complaint, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or I cry out, violence, but you don't hear. So that was his complaint. He said, God, I've got these problems. Now, Habakkuk's day and age was like this. Around the year 722 BC, the northern tribes, the 10 tribes of Israel, had been carted off by the Assyrians. Okay, so that those 10 northern tribes, and they disappeared. Basically, they became what's called the 10 lost tribes of Israel and really intermarried and disappeared into the people of that northern Levant area, uh, the, the, the um, Fertile Crescent, it's called, by the Romans. All that area of the Euphrates and the Tigris and everything else. And then around 100 years later on, um, well, around the year 640 BC, Josiah became king. And as you read Second Kings, you start to see that there was good kings and bad kings and good kings and bad kings, pretty much off on throughout the history of Israel at this time. So the northern kingdom was taken away, you're left with Judah and Benjamin down south, you know, and they're sort of like the, the remnant of the remnant that's remained. Around the year 640, Josiah became king of Jerusalem. Jeremiah, around the year 627, uh, rose as a prophet, started prophesying and saying, don't do bad things. Around that same time, 626 BC, Nebuchadnezzar became a king, um, one of these vassal states of Assyria called Babylon, and they started to rebel. So if you think of all that area of the Middle East now, it's coming up from the, uh, where the Kuwait is and so on. And as I, I've flown up in aeroplanes out of Bahrain and places like that, and as you take off, you see these campfires and fires, oil wells burning, yeah, you've seen it, haven't you? It's, it's, you know, and as you fly off into Europe, you see you know, all these mountains underneath and you think this is the cradle of civilization and what turmoil it has seen over those years. If you're interested, um, I want to organise a trip up to the British Museum later on this year. Let's get a coach and go up there because there is, you, can, you can actually walk into some of those exhibits and see where the stelae have these carvings of the children of Israel or, or Judea being taken off to Babylonia. And so you can actually see Bible history in front of you for free up there in the British Museum. Thank goodness your ancestors were pirates and grabbed a lot of these things over the past few hundred years. So you don't have to go far, do you? You can just go there and it's free, yeah. Anyway, maybe not so much praise for being a pirate, but hey. Anyway, so around this time, Habakkuk saw the good king go off to battle. Josiah goes off to battle. What's happened is the Babylonians have arisen. They're coming up to defeat the Assyrians. And the Egyptians, um, Pharaoh Necho, arises and starts marching up the coastline. And the king goes out because he's a vassal state of Assyria, goes out to challenge him, and the good king is killed. And then his son takes over, and he's a bad king. You know, during that time of Josiah's reign, it actually rediscovered the book of the law. They started reading the Bible 10 years after he became king. 
So this was a great time of sorrow for the prophet. He said, my God, what has happened? The good king came along and all of his reforms weren't enacted. So the first complaint is, I cry out for help, but you do not hear. Violence, but you do not save. How can you tolerate wrong, basically? Reminds me a little bit of what um, Abraham said back in Genesis. If you recall the story of Sodom, you know, he was camped there with all his flocks and the angel of the Lord, and there's, there's a hint there that it's actually God himself walked past, a theophany it's called, and, you know, God actually appears to him. And Abraham argues with him, debates with him. He said, will you kill the city for 50 people, 50, you know, good people there? And he, he negotiates down, he comes down to, will you kill the city for 10? And God says, not, not even for 10. But then God goes on and kills the city. And the words of Abraham are, will the, uh, the judge of all the earth do right? And th- that's what the appeal is here. You know, theologians have a word for it, and it's theodicy or whatever. It's the problem of evil in the world. Either God is really good, but he's weak. He doesn't, can't do anything about it. Or he sees the evil, but he's indifferent. Basically, he doesn't care. Or maybe he doesn't care and, he, and, and he, he's too weak anyway, or deism as it's called. But we sit in the corner of that tri- quadrangle saying, we struggle with it. We don't know why bad things happen, but they do. But God is on the throne and so we pray to him. And that's the response that comes back in Habakkuk. Because God says, don't worry, I'm here. See something's about to happen. I'm bringing the Babylonians. And Jeremiah sits back and says, oh my God goodness me. He said, they're going to crush us. They're going to kill us. Imagine being in Kabul airport today. Yeah. Um, it's just astonishing, isn't it? You see somebody with a, with a, with a luggage wheeling that out there, little child beside them, all dressed up in their best. Sure, they wear different clothes to us, but just imagine standing on that airport tarmac and wondering if you're getting on a plane or not. That's exactly how Habakkuk felt, because the Babylonians were sweeping down. And, you know, there's almost... That's the closest I've ever seen to a, you know, um, blasphemy in the Bible. It says, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. That's his response. He says, my God, you're bringing the Babylonians. They were known as a fierce people. They worshipped their power. Basically, they were a, they, they, one of their gods was a god of fishing. And they used to worship him as somebody who would cast out a net and grab countries and haul them back and destroy them. And they were the people who were coming to, to wipe them out. And Habakkuk said, how can this be? How can the answer of God be that we're going to get destroyed? But it was. So the problem first response, you know, where were the promises that had been made to Israel? Where were those promises, Abrahamic promises? What have you done, God? You've brought us here and we're going to die. But basically, so he, he then says, he pauses and he stops in the book. And as you read, he says, in starting of chapter 2, he said, um, I will stand on my watch and station myself up on a high tower so that I can, I can wait for the word of the Lord to come back. I think that's a good thing sometimes for us to do, that we pray, we pray, we pray, we have the Thursday night prayer and we, we pray and pray and pray, and then we just sort of like get used to, so used to God. You know, as we're told that God calls us out, 
You know, it's, it's to, to, an, to another. It's not to the daily grind of the newspapers that have their own answers. How many people are shaking their fists at Kabul at the moment, saying, pointing fingers at the government? What have you done? God calls us out and says, the hand of the king is in the heart of the Lord. And he turns it whichever way he will. So how can you do this, God? And he pauses, he stops. Then comes back the response. And God says, write this down. He says, write it down so that somebody who's running can read it. And he says, woe to them. Comes back with five woes. He says, basically, I'm going to do something, but I will judge the Babylonians. Just as I judge you, Judah, I will judge. First woe, woe to them that pile up stolen goods. Woe to them that build using unjust gain. Woe to them that build properties by bloodshed. You know, woe to them that make their neighbours drunk so they'll see their nakedness. My word, what a thing for today. Woe to somebody who makes idols. And we live in a, in, in a land, in a country, in an age that does exactly that. You know, the greed is rampant. I just see it every day in companies and, you know, that greed is good. You don't have to watch many films before you see that, that greed is good. And right at the very start of those woes, God says, these these little words, and he says, woe to those, because he's unrighteous, basically. And see, he's puffed up. He's talking about the Babylonians. His desires are not good, but the righteous will live by his faith. So, James spoke to us. He said, look for the grand story. You know, it talks about Abraham, that his, that his faith was counted as righteousness. Right here in the midst of the Bible, it says, the just will live by faith. You know, those words actually inspired Martin Luther. You think back 500 years ago, your own history has been influenced by that. And Romans 1.17, isn't it? It says that, um, for it's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just will live by faith. Referencing Habakkuk. And then again in Galatians 3.11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it's evident the just will live by faith. So right deep in the heart of this Bible is faith. You think of the Old Testament and they, 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 those promises to Abraham that, you know, that, that capture down in Egypt, coming back again, that story that was played out there in Israel, that exile off to Babylonian again, then the recall later on, and then the destruction of the temple. There was a whole series of things, but that history was played out with faith at its center. And then later on in Hebrews, that great well, almost like it's a, a, a pay-in of, uh, of praise, isn't it, to faith. It's a song to faith. And it talks about, you know, when the night is blackest, that faith will be there. So I think that's what God calls us to in this book, that the just will live by faith. And then finally it comes back and there's a response from Habakkuk. Remember, he's a song leader. And what does he sit down and do but write a song? So he sits down and his song is... Astonishing. So he talks about a, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. 
you know, on Shiganoth. I don't know, is that a timing that you know <laughs> in, in songs? Anyway, here's Shiganoth, and he writes and he says, Oh Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. You know, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And he says, God comes from the mountaintops. He comes from Mount Teman. I don't know where that now. And he mentions another mount, mount as well. And then he mentions a musical term, Selah. And so he basically writes out this whole song of praise. I've, you know, I, I grew up um, in this strange Australian town, many miles from anywhere. Um, we didn't even have TV at that time. We didn't have hardly radio as well, whatever. But we had a radiogram, a really ancient one who my mum, uh, bless her when she died, sent it over here and I've got it and I'm trying to do it up at home. But I used to listen to these things called scripture and song and it was uh, Dale Garrett, somebody else <laughs> Anyway, the Garretts, these um, Garrett, Leslie and Dale Garrett, I think was their name. And they, used, they set two music, they set these songs. And one of them was, you know, um, the words of Habakkuk. It was, though the fig tree does not blossom. Wow, you know. So my question to you today is, how many of you have flocks of goats in your back garden? Not many, do you? <laughs> really. So I'll read the words in it. So the fig tree does not blossom. There be no fruit on the vine. Though the produce of the, the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Now, you probably can't sing that. I've got a grapevine outside my garden. Come along and see it one day. And the grapes hang down. Really nice. But I don't have any sheep unfortunately. I, so I can't really. So my song of praise, and it might sound a bit flippant, but you know, my song of praise goes a bit like this. So the alder tree out the front of the church here has got beetles all over it. There's no leaves in that. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. There's no Kit Kats in the, in the staff kitchen and the tea bags have run out. <laughs> Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. The supermarket shelves are strangely empty, aren't they, at the moment? What's going on there, you know? And the flock, you're a bit uncomfortable in the church at the moment, you know, and there's no ministries, the sound of children running through the halls. Should be here, shouldn't they? There should be children back here and we should be, you know, rejoicing. So that's my song of praise. And I really want to ask you today, you know, what your song of praise is to God. Sit down and write it out. Make it up if you want, but basically have a song of praise where you're praising God and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. John Donne wrote this, this, um, his, his lovely uh, hymn to God the Father and he, he talks about his own sin and asks God, you know, forgiveness. But at the end he says, I have the sin of fear that at my death, when I, you know, when I have spun my last thread, I shall die upon the shore. But swear by thyself that at my death thy sun shall shine as he shines now and heretofore. And having done that, thou hast done. I fear no more.